Welcome to SEC Unfiltered, home of the best SEC content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry guys. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sports entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports. Pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews as well. Guys, so many fans and listeners of SEC Unfiltered have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. Well, so again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from SEC Unfiltered sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Gentlemen, the dust has mostly settled on the SEC football season as the games are behind us. Nobody better in, this co- in the country to help us break it down than our good friend Chris Doring of SEC Network as he, does, as he did weekly 
talking all SEC football. Chris, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. Happy New Year to you and, and all your listeners. It's uh, You mentioned the dust settling. Hard to believe it's over with, man. I, I, I think we... We wait forever for the, the start of the season, and then it flies by before we know it, the blink of an eye, it's it's over with, man. So it's uh, tough to think about having to walk through the uh, the desert of the offseason starting on, uh, on the first with Alabama's loss. And Chris, you mentioned, let's start there with the Rose Bowl. You talked off air that you were at the game, you were in Pasadena. Just give folks an idea of what that yeah. like before we get into the game the, the majesty of it you know watching on TV i mean we you know we talked about a lot leading into that game with that being Alabama Michigan it was such a helmet game with two historic programs and really it just felt like the perfect setting yeah. for a game like that and i followed along with you your instagram and and all across social media and i mean it just it looked like a beautiful setting and you hear from folks how great it is but you were there in person for someone who's never been to the rose bowl can you describe what that experience is like. Yeah, I, let's go back to kind of our, our childhood, you know, when it was the the Big Ten and the the Pac-12, um, the tie-ins for those conferences. It, it used to seem like we'd watch that on, on January 1st, and it was something that we would always see from afar and, and never necessarily get to experience. And then with the, 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 the bowl alliance, the BCS, the growth of the college football playoffs, we saw some some teams outside of those two conferences get an opportunity to play Florida was on the cusp of getting a chance to play a couple different times. Didn't get in the, to it, but I've been fortunate enough to have uh, now two opportunities to go out and, and cover the Rose Bowl. Um, and the second time was just as magical as the first time, maybe even more so in some ways. You mentioned the Alabama and, and Michigan matchup, the two winningest teams in college football history, playing one another with so much on the line in the most iconic stadium in all of college football. Uh, the weather was not great on Saturday or Sunday, but when Monday rolled around, it was as if the uh, the, the 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 welcoming committee there, the Rose Bowl committee, um, knew exactly what to do to make it a memorable experience. The the skies were blue, the temperatures were were perfect, uh, the the grass is always perfect, and uh, you know just the whole setting around it. it it's it's driving in through the neighborhood. It reminds you a lot of going to Lambeau Field, the, this this other, you know, magical stadium and and the college and the football world, and uh, you're in the midst of a neighborhood, and all of a sudden you open up and you're at the Rose Bowl, much like you are there at uh, Lambeau Field. So, man, it was it was uh, an, an unbelievable experience for me. There's been two overtimes in the history of the college football playoffs in that ten year run, both of them in the Rose Bowl, both of them I was in attendance for. Both of them, I had the opportunity to be standing in the end zone where all the the plays were being made. And it just like I've played the sport at all levels, and um, you know the fan in me has never gone away. And, and I think anybody that's a fan of college football has to go experience it. And uh, it makes me makes me pinch myself sometimes that I get a chance to do this and call it work and actually get paid for it because I I'd go out there and do it for free just to have the chance to 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 be a part of the uh, the experience over and over again. Now Chris, to the game we go, let me ask you this first. What were your expectations for the game, maybe predictions what have you, but what you thought about the yeah. game and the matchup going in versus what you saw? Were you surprised? Was it what you expected? Your top takeaways from that ball game witnessing it yeah. in person on Monday night. Uh, you know this, I mean working in the the media world, um we have opinions about how 
We think games are going to play out. We get paid to, to make predictions. The game did not play out at all like I expected. I thought Alabama, you know, had had you know hit the hit the next level that they were playing uh, really well. Uh, I thought that Michigan hadn't really been tested this year, both with the Big Ten schedule and their out of conference schedule, which certainly left a lot to be desired. Um, the statistics of their defensive dominance, I thought, were probably a little skewed because they hadn't played any really good offenses. Uh, I predicted Alabama would win the game by double digits, and um, it played out anything but that way. And uh, I have a lot of respect, man. Getting to watch the watch that team, the Michigan team, up close and personal. Watch how dominant they were up front. Uh, dominant they were on both lines of scrimmage, but the the speed and the power that they had on their defensive line with their front seven as a whole, the way they got after Jalen Milrow, the way they dominated Alabama's offensive line, man, I I just was was really um, surprised and 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 I take back all that I said because I really undervalued what uh, Michigan had done. And one of the things that, that stood out to me, Chris, we did media day coverage on Saturday and Michigan to a man talked over and over again about how close they were as a team, about the chemistry that this team had, about how the adversity they had faced throughout the year off the field, the suspensions of their coach had, had brought them closer together. You know, I thought all that was great and, good sound bites, but I didn't think it was really going to matter on the field. And it actually was the difference in the ball game because in the second half, Michigan could do nothing offensively, but they never gave up belief. The defense never, you know, got, got pissed off at the offense for not doing their part. The defense kept Alabama within arm's length in one possession. And when Michigan needed it the most, they found a way to make the plays. And uh, on fourth and two uh, near the middle of the field, the Blake Corum, out of the backfield catches that ball. And from then on, they dominated the rest of regulation and overtime. And I almost got the feeling like being there that, that Alabama was playing tight. They were, they were playing not to to lose as opposed to being the aggressor. Whereas I thought Michigan did a lot of the, 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 the attacking in that game, particularly late in the ball game, despite having no proof that they were going to be able to do it. They never lost hope. And at the end of the day, they made the plays down the stretch and found a way to advance to the college football championship game. And Chris, that last point you make, I, I think that's one of the things that really shocked me because as the second half began, I was watching the game with a buddy of mine. And I, I remember looking at him and saying, okay, this is, you know, this is when uh players tighten up, coaches tighten up and Alabama. I mean, this is their, this is a position they're familiar with Nick Saban, the best coach ever. Um, you know, they're going to do what they always do and find a way to win. And to your point, it was, it was, there were two things that surprised me. Number one, to see a team like Michigan late in that game, like you mentioned, that final drive, which was a legacy drive, but really take it to Alabama and be the aggressor. And the other thing, Chris, that I'm just still not used to, even after this season, is to see Alabama get whipped on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, twice. Just, saw it twice this year. Both of their stunning. losses. It's yeah. and, and you're right. We're not used to seeing them getting beat on both lines of scrimmage like that. And we're not used to them having as many holes in their their roster as what they they do. I was very critical. You know, I was critical here on your show of Alabama in the preseason. I, I, I predicted them to go nine and three. I thought the issues on the offensive line were going to be tough to overcome. I thought they were very average at receiver. I thought the questions about the quarterback were going to lead them to having a year that would find themselves not only outside of the college football playoffs, but also outside of the, the SEC championship. And for them, to evolve into what they did despite having all of those issues that I think were real concerns at the time spoke to the coaching job that I thought Nick Saban and his staff did. 
the surprising thing to me was how much they reverted back to that team that was so flawed early in, in the season in week two and weeks three um, in the biggest game of the season. Um, I, I go back and look to it at game planning wise. Like, why did we not see more Jalen Milrow run involved in the game early on? Why, why did you have him in the pocket where that's not his best, highest and best usage? Like getting him in a position where he can put pressure on the defense with his legs is how, you know, I thought that they started to evolve from the time they played LSU on. And to not have that in the game plan was either a, a, a huge oversight or they significantly undervalued how good that defensive line was for 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 Michigan. Um, they finally got to it in the second half, had more success with some of their their read options, own read stuff. Um, they 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 did a good job of setting the edge in the second half. The the, the running backs bounced and, and got outside quite a bit. But just curious as to why that didn't happen early in the ball game. And and you know the 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 last couple of years we've talked an awful lot about the the penalties and the untimeliness of those penalties. Maybe one of the biggest penalties that that people have not talked about enough. They're driving late in the ball game up four. They get down around the 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 30-yard line. Um, they've taken about seven minutes off the clock. A touchdown puts the game away. And first down, they take a penalty. Now it's first to 15. They're behind the chains. Uh, they're able to get a few of the yards back. Third and nine, again, they have him in the pocket. And as opposed to getting him outside, I just didn't understand it. You know, I, I know that there's some limitations with Jalen Milrow. I've heard stories about him not being able to to read the option plays as well as you'd like him to, that sometimes they're called gives or called keeps for him. Uh, I also know that, that um, he doesn't necessarily recognize when he needs to get the ball to his hot receiver. There were multiple times that, that uh, uh, they were bringing pressure that uh, he should have just dumped it to his, his outlet guy third and nine there. There was a, a shallow cross from the tight end that probably should have been one that he got out of his hands. Uh, but I, I just think putting him in that position there was not the best usage of his skill set. And and they had a chance to, to end the game there. They had a chance to end the game on fourth and two. All you got to do is get off the field. And again, they have communication issues covering the back out of the backfield, something that happened uh, on the touchdown of Michigan's first uh, score of the day. Uh, I thought the linebackers in coverage were were uh, overmatched. Deontay, Deontay Lawson had a hard time covering multiple times. Uh, communication issues there with the the back being left un, un, uncovered. Just, you know, surprising mistakes that we don't typically see. But at the end of the day, that's kind of who Alabama was early in the year. And it ended up going full circle and then reverting back to that team in the worst possible time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. Flawed and inconsistent, Chris. I think two really good words to describe. And very talented, by the way, but yeah. a couple different ways to describe that Bama team. You mentioned Jalen Milrow again, 16 to 23, 116. No touchdowns, no picks, uh, 21 carries, 63 yards. He had that fumble. You know, I'll ask you this because I, you know, Jalen. By the way, on that fumble, Chris, I don't know if you could tell it on the te- television uh, view. That was like w- the, today's version of the old school triple option where you're running the, 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 the read um, there. He keeps it off the edge crashing, which was a great read, but they got the back out in the, in the flat, which is the equivalent to the pitch man on that, that third option. All he's got to do is throw the ball out there. There was no contain outside. Both defenders had come down inside. If he gets the ball out there, that's at least a a 40-yard gain, maybe a touchdown. Instead, he keeps it. He's holding the ball without real, really good ball security. Ball comes out. Like I felt like there were a number of opportunities where they they could have done more to shut the game down. That was one of them. They're driving early in the in the third quarter. Down on the other side of the field, two bad snaps that 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 get by Jalen Milrow that cause them to be in like third thirty that they ultimately have to run the ball and, and punt it. Just too many self inflicted wounds, as as you mentioned. And ironically, I talked to Coach Saban on Saturday at Media Days, and he said he was really proud of the way that his team had overcome some of the adversity, some of it self inflicted, and it it sounded like those were almost foreshadowing words because a lot of what happened on Monday afternoon was uh, at the cost of their own mistakes. And Chris, you bring me to my next question because Jalen Milrow obviously announced that he's coming back next year. And, you know, for was all- there a question about that? I mean, what? what, what? I, well, it, everybody's got an announcement now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah, makes it. Right. So anyways, we know though, for sure he's coming back. Um, which to your point, where was he going to go? A- either way, that's another conversation, but Jalen Milrow is back. I-, I say that because I ask you this question, Chris, can Alabama win a national championship with Jalen Milrow at quarterback? You mentioned yeah. the shortcomings and the question marks. And I mean, do you think over the course of an offseason, he can progress enough to where he can be a national championship caliber quarterback at Alabama? I hope so. I hope so because I like him a lot. I like the accountability that he's taken all year long when things have gone bad. I like the supportive nature of him on the sideline in that week three against South Florida. I love his smile. I didn't love the com- the comments after the Auburn game and the, you know, give me the Heisman and all that stuff. I think we need to have a little more self-awareness there. But he's got to evolve. He's got to evolve into a guy, if those stories are true, about his inability to really read out some of the, the zone read stuff and the other option stuff they run. He's got to be better at that. He's got to be better at understanding where to go with the ball when you have pressure or that you have an outlet. Like, it's great to be able to beat the rush the way that he can. And sometimes... You know, you get some big plays out of that, but more times than not, if you just get the ball to your outlet guy, you're going to at least offset the pressure. Maybe there's a a play that somebody else on the field can make, and it doesn't have to fall on your shoulders all the time. So I do hope that he's able to evolve because I like him an awful lot. I love his story, and and I love, you know, what, what he's done to be the face of this Alabama program this year. But I think there are some real concerns that, you know, you have to have about what his limitations may be with some of the the uh, the inability to read some of that stuff out. Now, Chris, you mentioned you talked to Nick Saban at Media Days at the Rose Bowl, and now the conversation, that game is over with, done with. The conversation turns to, and every year around this time, with Nick Saban being where he is in his career, is he coming back next year? Is he going to retire? Is he still coaching? We've had many folks go on record and say, 
you know, I think one of the, uh, I forget his name, but one of the Bama players said that Nick Saban is going to die on a football field. Like he's going to coach yeah. until he can't anymore. Did you sense that same fire, that same urgency, that same intensity in Nick Saban to where you have no question he'll be back? Did you sense maybe we're getting closer towards the end of his tenure in Tuscaloosa, if you will? What, what did you pick up on talking to Nick Saban specifically? I, in that conversation, I didn't get into any of that at all. I didn't really get that sense. I got the sense that that this is a guy that still loves what he gets the chance to do, that loves college football. I asked him about you know, his appreciation for being in that position to coach in a game of that magnitude between the two winningest coaches in college or the two winningest programs in college football history in that venue there at the Rose Bowl. Um, obviously, you know, he, he appreciated that opportunity and, 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 and what he gets a chance to do. Um, but I, you know, inevitably it's going to happen. I would be shocked if it happened now, but let's be honest, we're all going to be shocked when it does happen. So Whatever year it ends up being, whatever offseason that announcement comes, it's going to be incredibly surprising and, and honestly very sad. Like I, I love, I love Coach Saban for who he is, what he's done for college football, what he does for teaching, um, more importantly, teaching players about how to be accountable, how to how to be good teammates, how to be good members of society, how to grow up to be successful, how to be great fathers. Like I think there's so many things that he's done to impact people positively outside of wins and losses that, you know, whenever that happens, it'll be sad to not have him in that position any longer and, and able to affect uh, the, the next wave of, of young people. Now, with that being said, Chris, the national championship game in Houston for the first time in a decade, there's no SEC team. I know you're yeah. a big college football guy. You love college football as a whole. We're all looking forward to Michigan and Washington, but how weird is it for you? Because I know it feels weird for me. How weird is it for you and many others, right, in the SEC community going into this game? It's like, we all love college football, but it, yeah. it's just a weird feeling watching these two teams go at it and there not being any sort of SEC representation on Monday night. Yeah, Chris, it is weird. And and um, I kind of had a, a, a bit of a hangover yesterday, you know, Tuesday after the the, the Monday game. Um you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the the excitement and the experience being over with and 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 moving back to regular life after being in that fantasy world for three or four days out there. Um, I think part of it, I'm not an Alabama fan by any means. I'm a fan of the SEC, but I'm also a fan of what gives me the best opportunity to to experience things personally. And having Alabama, having the SEC as a whole out of the the uh, the playoff contention is is not great for me. Uh, but more than anything, I'm just a fan of this league, like like you, like everybody else. I I, I got into an argument with uh, some Georgia fans who couldn't find it possible to possibly cheer for Alabama against Michigan. Like, how do you not cheer for this this conference? I know you you, you don't like the fact that you guys lost in the SEC championship game. Uh, I know that it's been a a bitter battle back and forth, but the success that Alabama or success that Georgia's having, the success that Kirby Smart's having is because of Alabama, because of Nick Saban. Like, so there has to be some appreciation there, I would think. But at the end of the day, I want this conference to do well. Maybe this is the best thing for the totality of college football. Maybe it would have been better had this happened five years ago. Maybe the PAC 12 wouldn't be dissolving the way that it was if they'd had more success like they had this year. Um, but, you know, it, it feels weird to be talking about a game that doesn't include one of our teams. I, and honestly, Chris, I think one of the worst things that could have happened for this conference, it's a down year. Let's be honest. It was a down year. It was a down pre-conference schedule. It was down head-to-head -head with the ACC. And with Alabama being eliminated 
it's going to be a, a, a down year in totality without having a chance to win a national championship. I think the worst thing that happened to the SEC was Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC title game. You know, having an undefeated Georgia in the playoff, um, I think they would have been better equipped to be able to, to play against a, a Michigan team that was maybe a little bit of a st stylistic challenge. I think the, uh, the Georgia offensive line probably would have held up better. I think Carson Beck probably would have been better at distributing the football to a much more talented group of wide receivers. Uh, but at the end of the day, Alabama was the better team in Atlanta in that first Saturday in December, and they deserve to be the SEC champions and representative uh, representative of the, the league in the playoff. But um, let, let's not sugarcoat it at all. It was a down year for the conference as a whole. So, Chris, on that note, brief thoughts on that Michigan-Washington matchup. Of course, Texas falls to Washington, who will be in the SEC in just a couple short months. Uh, you know, it's stylistically, like you mentioned, two very different teams. I mean, you think of Michigan, you think of defense, you think of run game. J.J. McCarthy, more of kind of a distributor of the football. Washington side, it's Michael Penix Jr., it's high-flying, it's offense. Uh, your thoughts on the ball game? Because, again, I know you'll be watching, although yeah. there's no SEC team in there. Yeah. You saw this Michigan team, like you mentioned, firsthand. They got some real dudes up front in the trenches. Who do you think comes out on top? Yeah, I, I do have a real appreciation for Michigan after being out there and getting a chance to talk to the players in the in the post game and and seeing what they went through the last two years and losing in that very same position and not being able to get over the hurdle and finally getting back there and getting the 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 the, the chance to get the win and to move on. So I do appreciate that from the college football fan perspective. Um, I have a lot of respect. I, Jim Harbaugh was my quarterback, my first. NFL reception came from Jim Harbaugh. So I do have an appreciation for him as well. Um, I, I, I think the physicality that I saw from Michigan is going to be very difficult for, for, for Washington to match. But I thought the physicality that Texas had after watching them dominate Alabama was going to be tough for Washington to match. And, and certainly they were able to do that. The game, the score much closer than, than probably the game was down the stretch. But, um, Man, just excited about the battle here between these these two teams, the differences in style, you know, how how Michigan defensively decides to to attack Michael Penix, who's been in an absolute zone all year long, the number of weapons to distribute the football to, the pick your poison nature. Like honestly, Chris, it reminds me a lot of my teams at Florida when we were just so precise with the passing game and so dangerous with so many different weapons that could beat you. So I, I'm just really excited about the X's and O's chess match that lies before us. Um, Washington's been overlooked all year long. They're they're a, a four and a half point underdog as it is now. It's a comfortable position for them, and it's a, a motivating position for them. So I, I I think you'd probably be stupid to to pick against them. But I also feel like there's some sort of team of destiny kind of storyline about this Michigan team as well, and I could see. Michigan winning it all and, and, and Jim Harbaugh, you know, setting sail for the NFL again. So I, I probably would lean Michigan, but I, I do think it's going to be a, an outstanding ball game with a ton of, of drama mixed in with the individual matchups. Now, Chris, when you look at bowl season as a whole for the SEC, and you mentioned it was a down year, and I think bowl season was sort of a mixed bag there as well. Uh, but certainly there were some big winners, you know, Missouri over Ohio State in that Cotton Bowl, Ole Miss over Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Georgia and what they did to FSU in that Orange Bowl, my goodness. Yeah. LSU and Tennessee both get victories on New Year's Day. What was your top takeaway, or was there anything in particular that jumped out to you from the SEC bowl season outside of the college football playoff? I thought the two biggest wins, the two most important wins, 
were the the Missouri and the Ole Miss wins. And I thought that Missouri and Ole Miss were in very similar positions, obviously, in both in the top 12. Both would be in the playoff had this been 2024. Both of them playing against um, really established, traditionally good uh, college football programs, both from the Big Ten. And, and I thought this was a great one cap. I mean, Ole Miss had never won 11 games in a season before this 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 year. They were able to do that. You know, maybe the two uh, most impressive losses, if there is such a thing, losing to to only uh, Georgia and Alabama throughout the the regular season. Uh, but I think these were both great kind of auditions for playing in the big stage against some big name programs and what you're going to have to do next year if you do find your ways into the top 12 um, when the season's all over with. So I thought those two teams were the ones that, that stood out the most. And then I thought, you know, those were games that were, were caps for great seasons for each of those. But I thought, you know, the bowl game can also be a springboard for the next season. And I thought the LSU and Tennessee wins for springboards for next year, most importantly, because those next generation of quarterbacks got an opportunity, presumably Garrett Nussmeyer and Nico Iamaliava are going to be the starters next season. Those two guys had great debuts as starters with their, their teams in their bowl games. And I think uh, create a lot of optimism about the direction of those two programs as they head into 2024. And I think, Chris, what's really exciting, too, is when you start looking ahead to 2024 and the way that we talk about and break down these teams. And with a 12-team playoff, I look at certain teams like a like a Tennessee, like a Missouri, like an Ole Miss, maybe even like an LSU, where, to your point, you know, where before it was only, okay, we're talking about the SEC champion, maybe the runner-up, mm -hmm. is they can make noise. Now it's like those teams that are kind of on that – that eight, nine win sort of fringe, can they get to 10? It just, uh, it, it unfolds and unravels even more storylines. Yeah. And with Texas and Oklahoma. So yeah, uh, so much to look forward to, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting what's on the horizon. It's going to be, it's going to feel like five years until we get back to, to August when we start the season next year. But um, yeah, how, how crazy is it to think about these teams in the SEC, like Ole Miss, who's never made an appearance in Atlanta for the SEC championship game is going to have a better chance to win a national championship than they would an SEC championship, particularly with the elimination of divisions, which is going to be a unique dynamic in and of itself. So Chris, last thing, and we'll get you out of here. When you look back on the 2023 SEC season, you mentioned you felt like it was a down year for the SEC. When you look back on the season that was, what will you remember most, whether it's one thing, a particular team, it's an overwhelming thing for the conference. When you look back at 2023 for the SEC, what do you take away from it? Yeah, my biggest takeaway is probably Missouri and and what they've been able to accomplish. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of people that that laughed uh, about Eli Drinkwitz and, and, and appreciated him for being this. Yeah, kind of goofy guy with the, you know, this 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 smile and 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 little shots that he takes, but that was a legitimately really good football team this year. And he did it on the back of a couple players that, you know, Luther Burden from within the state of, of Missouri, uh Brady Cook from within the state of Missouri, lifelong Missouri fan, did it with those guys, got them to believe now there's proof of concept. There's proof to be able to go out and sell what's possible. There's proof to be able to tell everybody that you can come to Missouri, play in the SEC, and play it as a college football playoff team. Um, that, to me, is not only something that gives hope to, to that fan base and that program in general, but if Missouri can do it, why can't, why can't anybody else do it? Certainly, why can't T 
Tennessee or Florida be able to do it? Like, you know, the, the they were Missouri was picked what sixth, I think, in the in the East this year. And and for them to have that kind of year uh just shows what is possible if you can put the right pieces together. And I think Drink's done a nice job of of assembling that thing in a a, a pretty short manner of time, too. Chris Doring of SEC Network, one of the best in the business. Chris, let me say yet again, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of our conversations. My friend, it's crazy to think the season flew by, but it was a ton of fun, my man. Happy New Year to you yet again, and look forward to doing it with you again here soon. Yeah, Chris, I appreciate it, man. It's been great uh, doing this throughout the season with you. I think you do a great job. Congratulations on your expansion to covering the entire league a little bit more, too, and, and definitely look forward to catching up with you in the future. 